Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series, P.S., where Pastor Graham shares with us some of his final thoughts as he concludes his time of ministry here at SPAC. Morning, Stony Plain Alliance Church. So good to be with you again. This is my last message in this series called P.S., and really it's my last Sunday message uh, at Stony Plain Alliance Church as your pastor. Uh, in this series, P.S., uh, I just wanted to share with you some reminders. I, I could have chosen sort of a greatest hits package and, and preached what I thought could be the best sermons that I preached in the last 20 years, but I, I just wanted to remind you of some powerful yet simple and profound uh, biblical ideas, thoughts that have shaped my life and in turn have shaped our community. And so really these are reminders, uh, things that I would want to remind you of as I'm leaving. And today's reminder is to remember who you are. The first was to remember whose you are, that you belong to a shepherd God. And the second is to remember who you are. Today we're going to talk about uh, your identity in Christ, our identity in Christ. And so as we begin today, I just want to ask the question, what are some of the typical ways that we tend to uh, create an identity for ourselves? What are some of the typical ways that we build our identity? If you are online with us Sunday morning at 11 o'clock in the live stream, I want to invite you to begin to answer on the chat. You can begin to populate the chat with some answers. What are some of the typical ways that we build our identity? Theologian Soren Kierkegaard said, it is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something beside God. All of us have either assumed an identity or have tried to build an identity apart from God. There are followers of Jesus who've been following Jesus for some time and are still living from a place of a, a false identity that they've built apart from God. A Jewish Norwegian psychologist named Eric Erikson coined the term identity crisis. He became aware of this in his teen years when he came to the realization that he could not fully identify with either the Jewish people or the Norwegian people. He was neither. And so he devoted his life to studying human identity and he coined the term identity crisis. And Erikson believed that the identity was something that you formed throughout life as you took on different roles and face different challenges. And an identity, an identity crisis came about when you could no longer answer the question, who are you? What are some of the typical ways that we build our identity? Uh, we build our identity through wealth and possessions. We identify ourselves as rich or poor, or maybe the poor kid that became wealthy. Maybe we identify ourselves with our achievements and our accomplishments, our awards and scholarships and academics. Maybe you see yourself as the brain in the family with our skills and our abilities, doctor, lawyer, plumber, carpenter, athlete, scholar, musician, artist. Sometimes that's the way we built an identity. Our strengths or our weaknesses, we identify ourselves by, by what we're good at or what we're not good at. And maybe we uh, build our identity around our failures, I've been divorced. I've, I've never been good at school. Uh, our, our opinions, uh, our own opinions or uh, opinions of others, unlovable, stupid, smart, cute, funny. Or with our suffering and sickness, 
Sometimes we talk about ourselves and we have an identity built around our, our suffering or our sickness, depression or cancer or chronic pain. Uh, our status or our roles, married, single, divorced, widowed, mother, father. Uh, sometimes around our sexuality, straight, gay, lesbian, transgendered, a ladies' man, single. Now, all of us are trying to build an identity and we grasp at things in order to do this. But Timothy Keller points out that we live in this fragmented world that has no coherent, no overarching overarching narrative for us. And the challenge of living in this fragmented world is that we try to create our own meaning in it then. We try to create our own identity. And that that's actually a spiritually dangerous thing to do because our identity is supposed to come from God. And now we've decided to do it for ourselves and we live in a culture that says you can do whatever you want to do and you can be whoever you want to be. You can create an identity for yourself. There, there are no boxes. There, there, there are no categories for us. You can even make up your own categories. The problem with living in a fragmented world is that the identity that we create for ourselves is fragile and changing. It's misplaced. And people go through one identity crisis after another. If you build your identity on careers, on relationships, on roles, on status, anything else, you will constantly be in crisis as those careers and relationships and strength change. And people go through what is often termed a midlife crisis because their identity has been built on this flimsy foundation and they've poured years of their lives into their career or into their relationships or into their roles or into pursuing some dream, and they finally get to a place where they've accomplished or achieved what they had hoped they would have achieved. And they realize that, that it's really empty and still flimsy, and they haven't really found themselves. And so they begin then another search in midlife to begin to find themselves, and they make some significant changes, all in pursuit of their identity. I, I remember when... Uh, it hit me really hard that I had tried to build an identity around my role as a husband, father, and, and also as a, as a pastor. It almost cratered me. Uh, today, I want to remind you of who you are. You, you don't need to become something. You don't need to make something of yourself. Your, your identity has been given to you as a gift in Christ and it's unalterable by your title or by the economy or by your education or by your popularity or your relationship status or how many likes you get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever other social media platform you're on. Regardless of your age or your physical strength or your, your beauty or good looks, this is true of you because you are a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at identity from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. So let's read together and then I want to invite you to pray with me. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world 
to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. So, Father, today I come to you uh, recognizing our dependence on you. We thank you for grace and mercy. We thank you for uh, your blessing in our lives through Christ. And uh, we recognize that this is a unique moment in our lives as we mark this as the last message that I will give to our church. And so we invite you to meet us again, as you have over numerous Sundays together. You've met us in significant and powerful and profound ways. And even, this, even though this may not be the way that we had envisioned and I had envisioned what this would be like, uh, we lay all of that at your feet. We lay all of that at your feet and we recognize that you're good. And we recognize that you're sovereign and that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We recognize that you can use all of these things for our good and for your glory. And so even in the midst of these strange and difficult times, God, we recognize that you're at work in powerful ways, in significant ways, to redeem and restore all things. Thank you that you've called us into the larger narrative of your redeeming work in this world, making all things new. We thank you that we get to live with hope, with purpose, with passion, and in the power of your spirit in the midst of this world that's uncertain. And so we give you thanks again. In Jesus' name, amen. But Paul uses the term in this text, in Christ, and to be in Christ means that we have, I f- have fully identified with Jesus and Jesus has fully identified with us. We live in Stony Plain, Spruce Grove, Parkland County, wherever it is you're, you are. You, you live somewhere geographically, but if you're a follower of Jesus and you've identified yourself with Jesus, then that means your life is found in Christ. You, you live in a physical place, but your identity is not formed in that physical place. You live with significant and unique circumstances, but your identity isn't formed by those circumstances. Your, your life is now found in Jesus. 
We, we live in Canada, but our, our citizenship is found in heaven in Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is now our life and our identity. Now let's look at what this text has to say. Paul helps us to understand who we really are in Jesus. The, the first thing that we need to note about our identity is that you're holy. You and I are holy. The first piece of identity that Paul offers in Ephesians are the words holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That word holy is sometimes translated as saints. Now, now if you were to write a letter to Stony Plain Alliance Church, how many of you would start with the word holy people or the, the phrase holy people? How many of you would start by calling us saints? You, when we think of saints, we usually think of pious people. We think of people like uh, Mother Teresa or St. Patrick or St. Francis, people like that. We, we, we link, uh, we, we, we link uh, sainthood to some sort of piousness that includes uh, an exemplary moral char- character and, or an exemplary moral action. And, and we think those are the people who have attained sainthood. Usually to be considered for sainthood, you have to die and you have to have a miracle or two associated with you. And so certainly when we think of saints, we're not thinking of anyone living here in Stony Plain today or in Spruce Grove today. Certainly not St. Dan Kaler or St. Matt Kinneber. I mean, they're Flames fans. How could they be saints? It just wouldn't be right. It doesn't seem right. When we think of ourselves and of our church, you know, we normally think of the flaws. And certainly the Ephesians that Paul is writing, the people who Paul is writing to would have had their flaws. There would have been people in that congregation who drank too much and swore too much and got pregnant out of wedlock and they got divorced a few years ago and they're fearful and they're selfish and they're greedy. And these Ephesians worshipped a goddess named Artemis. And the one thing we know about Artemis is that she was a fertility goddess the embodiment of sexuality and the embodiment of sexual immorality. And so it was into this sexually immoral climate and very hostile environment that Paul writes to this group of followers of Jesus. They're batting a thousand when it comes to flawed and broken people, just like we are here at Stony Plain Alliance Church. And so he writes to these flawed, broken, unfaithful, struggling, weak, soiled angry, impatient. Read Ephesians, you'll see what they were struggling with. And he writes to them, the holy ones in Christ Jesus. He, he doesn't write to the dirty, rotten scoundrels in Ephesus, but he says the holy ones who are faithful in Christ. You are not holy because of what you do. You're holy because of who you are in Christ. You're a holy one. Secondly, you're blessed. It's easy to live these days with sort of a a negative and scarcity mentality. When the government announced this last week that they were placing further restrictions on us in Alberta, I remember thinking, oh, we're being robbed of something. It's easy to think we're being robbed whether it's freedoms or time with our family at Christmas, 
We, we can easily allow our identity to be dictated by these circumstances. We, we feel as if we're robbed. We, we start to live from a scarcity mentality that we don't have. And Paul makes this staggering statement that God has already blessed us in the heavenly realms. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's good news because it means that everything that exists at the center of the throne room in heaven right now is ours in Jesus. And it means that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to, to try to, uh, we, we don't have to grasp for it. God has already blessed you. You're a blessed one. You're not one who lives with scarcity. You're not one who has been robbed. You're one who has been given. You're one who has been blessed. God has been giving to you in Christ. God has blessed you in Christ. God is good to us all the time. God doesn't have to be manipulated or cajoled and we don't have to earn his blessing. We don't have to plead for his blessing. It's already ours. All of the joy, all of the peace, all of the love and the goodness that exists at the center of the throne room of heaven is ours in Christ. That phrase heavenly realms doesn't mean that you have to wait until heaven until you get these blessings. Rather, it refers to a spiritual reality that we can have right here, right now. It's the realm in which God lives and into which we can have access through our life in Christ. It's saying that the world that we live in is not the ultimate reality. The world that we live in is not the ultimate reality. The world that we live in doesn't determine our state of blessedness. A larger reality exists where Jesus is already exalted as Lord, where believers participate in his victory, where spiritual forces are opposed and subdued. And even though we live our lives here on earth, we have access in Jesus as God's children to resources that are not available here on earth. We receive our spiritual resources and our identity from a different kingdom. God is a God who likes to bless. He delights in blessing his children. He gives good gifts to us. God loves us and he cares for us and he's supremely generous toward us. He's not holding anything back from us. He's not being malicious to us. He's not uncaring. He's not indifferent. He's not under-involved. He's right here in the midst and he's offering us everything in Jesus. You are blessed in Christ. That's who you are. Thirdly, you're a chosen child. You're a chosen child, for he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. He adopts us into his family because he wants us. It's so significant because this passage is just peppered with God's desire for his people. His pleasure is to adopt us. Now, how many believe that God just tolerates us? God just stomachs us. He rolls his eyes at us. He shakes his head us, at us. He just puts up with us, and it's just simply not true. God delights in his children. He chooses us for his purposes. He seeks us out. You know, we, we live in an abandonment culture. If we don't like something, we, we chuck it out from clothing to relationships. You know, is anybody here ever been dumped? Dumped by a fiancé, dumped by a spouse, dumped by a kid, 
who shut you out, dumped by a parent who walked out on you, dumped by a company. Have you ever mentored someone or discipled someone, poured into their lives only to be dumped for someone else? Has ever happened to you? God will never abandon you. In fact, just the opposite. He will never, ever leave you. He wants you, even if you choose to walk away. See, we're not by nature. We're not even by nature God seekers. Most, most of us seek the blessing of God while we flee from his presence. We, we want the gifts. We, we don't necessarily want the giver of the gifts. We want what he has to offer, but we don't always want a relationship with him in which we have to spend time with him and invest in him. We want all the peace and the joy and the goodness and the protection and the safety, but we, we just sort of want to go about our own lives living apart from him. But God seeks us out because he wants us. Richard John Niehaus wrote, the good news is that God is searching for us. Better yet, he has found us. The great question is not whether we have found God, but whether we have found ourselves being found by God. God seeks us out because he wants us. He loves us. He's pleased with us. You are a chosen child of God. Last week, we baptized nine people. The words of Jesus, the words of the Father, rather, spoken over Jesus at his baptism are true for us. Jesus, uh, before he began his ministry, was baptized. He hadn't yet performed a miracle, not at least we, of, that we know of, having been recorded. He had not delivered a message. He hadn't done anything of great significance that we're aware of. And yet the Father speaks to him and he says, You are my son. You are my beloved son. You, with you I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I believe that he speaks those words over each and every one of us who are in Christ. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. You're a chosen child of God. And then you're fully forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ephesus was a a hub of the slave trade. Babies who had been discarded at the dump were picked up. They were raised in a home and then they were sold to someone else. And when that slave was sold to another owner, uh, the word that was used was redemption or redeemed. It meant that they were fully paid for. They no longer owed anything to their former master for anything. There was no longer any outstanding debt. They were paid for. And Paul was writing to a culture where people were were bought and sold. And so he says, look, do you know that somebody bought you? Somebody paid for you. Somebody paid for you with their own blood. And there's no longer any outstanding debt on your life. Peter wrote, for you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. To be in Christ means that we've received the sacrifice of Jesus as payment for our sins. We've been redeemed. 
We no longer have an outstanding sin debt. All of us, you know, have had a rap sheet. You've got a rap sheet with all your list of offenses on it. I've got a rap sheet with my list of offenses. Every every thought, every action, every deed that I've committed. We've all got, you know, a a rap sheet and it's, it's it's miles long. But that rap sheet has been shredded and it's no longer held against us. To be in Christ means that God no longer sees our failure and our imperfection. He no longer sees our sin. He no longer holds it against us. That means that we're no longer defined by our failure. We're no longer defined by our sin. Our primary identity is not our sin or our failure, but our Savior who lived a sinless and perfect life. We are not defined by our failure. We are defined by Jesus. You are fully forgiven. You're holy, you're blessed, you're a chosen child, you're fully forgiven, and then finally you're secure. You're secure. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You were marked in him with a seal, Back, back then, a seal was used to make things secure. So for a paper document, you could make a seal with melted wax, which you would press your family ring or crest, and you would leave an indentation. And when the wax dried, it, it made a seal, and that seal marked the ownership of the document. And that kind of seal wouldn't work for cattle, and so they started branding with hot irons. A brand is also a seal. It's a mark of ownership. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, uh, the main character, Maximus, has four letters tattooed on his arm, SPQR. They mark him as a Roman soldier for the emperor. It's his mark of service. Paul is writing to this kind of culture in which people are literally sealed to show who they belong to. And Paul is saying, do you realize that when you came to believe, you received God's seal on your life? And that seal actually comes with a promise that can't be taken away from you. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit here is described as a seal that is a deposit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the first installment of a, of a down payment that's God's pledge to complete what he started in our lives and in this world. The Holy Spirit reminds us that our future with God is certain. Gordon Fee, an author, writes, God's Spirit himself is the down payment in our lives that guarantees our certain future. You see, this world is unstable and it's insecure and many parts of our world are starting to crumble. The Holy Spirit works The Holy Spirit's work in our lives reminds us that the future for us is secure. It doesn't matter what happens to us. Not even death can rob us of our future. We live as secure people in this world, regardless of what the circumstances are around us, regardless of what happens to us. We're secure people. You always need to know and believe your true identity in Christ. Every other identity that we try to build our lives on 
is unstable, it's flimsy, it's ultimately a false self. Your identity in Christ is the only thing that's stable. It's the only thing that lasts. It's It's really the only true identity that you can build your life on. Your identity in Christ means that you're holy, you're blessed, you're a chosen child, you're fully forgiven, you're secure. You're going to need to know your identity when life doesn't work out the way that you'd hoped. You're going to need to know it through seasons of change and sickness and abandonment and accusations. You're going to need to know it when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death with a loved one and when you pass there yourself. There is nothing that can change your true identity, nothing. You are holy. You're blessed. You're a chosen child. You're totally forgiven. You're secure. That's who you are at your core. That's your primary identity, not your house, not your title, not your skills, not your children, not your relationship status, not your looks, your strength, or your sexuality. These will all prove flimsy. They can't withstand the challenges of life. They can't withstand the changes that come with life. And when you build your identity in Christ, there's freedom in your identity. When you remember and believe who you are at your fundamental core in Christ, you're free. You're free to love God. You're free from fear. You're free from always competing and comparing You're free from shame. You're free from your past. You're free to embrace the realities of the present and hope for the future. You're free to risk and you're free to fail. You're free to love people. You're free to be and do what God created you to be and do. You're free because your identity is not tied to things, to people or accomplishments, but to Jesus himself. Let's pray together. So God, again, we thank you for the work that you've done for us in Jesus. This work is so magnificent, so amazing. It's not just about, you know, a ticket to heaven, going someplace after death. That in and of itself is significant, but there's so much more. There's life in Christ being found in him, being transformed to become like him. So help us as your people to continue to find our true selves in Jesus himself. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.